Greetings. Happy Feast of Tabernacles. It's a pleasure to speak to you from Charlotte. Let's begin by turning to John chapter 7, John chapter 7 and verse 37. You are familiar with this passage, John 7, 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus used the analogy or the metaphor of water to refer to the spiritual water, the the living water, the life that emanates from God's Word, from Him, from the Father. Water is important. Water represents life. Without water, we have no life. Polluted water brings death. Not enough water brings death. God talks about water. God talks about using water to bless. And God talks about using water to chasten. And today during the sermon... At the Feast of Tabernacles, we're going to look at some prophecies, some warnings, and some promises that apply to modern Israel and that will be fulfilled, blessings that will be fulfilled in the glorious kingdom of God, the millennium on this earth, hopefully in not too many years. We are warned about droughts and pestilence and famines as we approach the end of the age. Let's turn to Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 14, Jeremiah 14, verse 1, God warns through his prophet Jeremiah of a time of droughts, parched land, no rain, severe famine, Jeremiah 14, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts, Judah mourns and her gates languish. They mourn for the land, and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. Their nobles have sent their lads for water. The the wealthy people, the the governors, the rulers, they're sending out their servants. And for what purpose? To go find water. Because God is cursing them with drought. He's punishing them because of their sins. Verse 3, continuing, they went to the cisterns, and they found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is parched. There is no rain in the land. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads and so forth. We know that God has cursed uh, His people, ancient Israel, because of their sins. He's punished them as a loving God to correct them. We know He's done that in the past. But brethren, these warnings, these prophecies, uh, and Frankly, the the days we live in today, these warnings are coming to pass again. We also know that God will sometimes not just withhold rain to correct, but he will send too much rain and cause flooding to correct. Let's turn back to Leviticus chapter 26 as we approach the end of the age and as we enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles and we look forward to what the Feast of Tabernacles represents, which is God's kingdom on the earth and a healing of the land, a healing of the earth, and most importantly, of course, a spiritual healing of humanity and the availability of God's Holy Spirit and its promise that it will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. As we approach the end of the age and we we enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles, let's step back for a moment and be reminded, be warned of God's prophecies that are being fulfilled today. 
Leviticus 26, verse 19, talks about God's punishment, not just on the land of of Palestine, but on uh, all of the nations of modern Israel. Some areas will receive too much rain and will flood. Other areas will receive rain at the wrong time. Other areas will not receive enough rain at all. And there will be drought and this will cause chaos and this will cause uh, suffering and the crops will not be able to, to yield. Notice what God reveals will happen in general worldwide at the very end of the age. Leviticus 26 verse 19. <clears throat> I will break the pride of your power. God is doing that today because of Israel's sins. And you, you see that, brethren. We, we see that. It's sad, but we, we know that it's because of Israel's sins. Leviticus 26, 19. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. Poetic language, but fearful language, brethren. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. If you walk contrary contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues. And we know, of course, that it talks about the highways becoming desolate. Brethren, it will get worse. It will get worse. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41. There's good news coming. There's good news coming, and that's what the millennium represents and pictures. The feast of, I'm sorry, the feast of tabernacles represents. It pictures the millennium. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 17. A few more prophecies. Speaking of the time of the end, God talks of a lack of water and a, and a thirst, but He also talks about a restoration. He talks about a restoration and healing waters, waters that He'll provide. In the millennium that will heal the earth. Isaiah 41 verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Notice verse 18, brethren. God's promise. He will not punish Israel to the point of their annihilation. He will Be merciful. He will intervene finally. I will not forsake them. Verse 18, I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry lands springs of waters. And then he talks about the wilderness becoming more fertile. Let's turn back a few chapters to Isaiah chapter 27. The restoration of Israel, a a promise we can take heart in. And brethren, in the years to come, these are promises that you can have faith in. You can be, uh, your faith can be uplifted, confirmed, and you can share these promises with others in the future who, who ask you, what's going on? What's going on? Why have the heavens become like bronze and iron and we have drought and a lack of food? And you can point these your friends, your neighbors to these scriptures. They, this is God's word. These are God's promises. Isaiah 27, a, a promise of restoration. <clears throat> verse 3. Beginning of verse 2 in that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine, uh, representing bounty and, and abundance. I, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. 
I keep it night and day. God's loving care and protection over the land. Fury is not in me. God says that his fury is, is spent. He has, he has punished and chastened Israel. Israel has repented. <clears throat> fury is not in me. Who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I will go through them. You know, God is, is, is all-powerful. And so <clears throat> the rest of this chapter talks about God's promises, not only of, 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 of blessings, but also his warnings. But there will come a time where Israel will blossom and bud. Verse 6, those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Speaking of the millennium and those who come to Israel, God will cause them to take root. They'll be fed spiritually, most importantly, the truth, most importantly. They'll learn of the true God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the millennium, most importantly. But brethren, this is also a, a, a promise regarding physical blessings. And, and God says what he intends to do here. He will cause the land to blossom. Israel will blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit with fruit modern israel will be abundant once again modern israel will be punished and and our punishment is 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 already beginning as you know they will get much worse but there's a promise behind beyond that punishment how and when will these prophecies occur what will be the fulfillment of some of these prophecies what is happening today, brethren? I'd like to spend some time in the sermon and show you a number of pictures, photographs. We will look at a number of, of pictures. And we're going to talk about God's promise to provide millennial waters. Millennial waters. And that's the title of the sermon today on this Feast of Tabernacles, Millennial Waters. Let's begin our sermon to get today, brethren, by looking at a picture of the Jordan River. Here you'll see a picture of the Jordan River. The Jordan River flows from Mount Hermon to the Dead Sea. As you know, it's, it's a straight line from the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea. And you may have heard that the Jordan River is the only major source of water flowing into the Dead Sea. Look how small and just polluted the river is. It used to be a mighty river. It's now a small, polluted river. You may have heard the Jordan is the only source of water for the Dead Sea. That's actually not true. That's not true, and we'll we'll discuss why that's not true uh, in a moment. There's a miracle that will happen, brethren, in the millennium. It will happen to the Jordan River, to the Dead Sea, to the land of Israel, the Holy Land, and a miracle that God will fulfill upon the face of the earth, all of the seas and oceans around the world. And brethren, this topic, this promise that God will fulfill will fulfill is, is going to be uh, vitally important. When people's tongues are parched and they have no food in the coming years and into the Great Tribulation, and God is punishing first Israel, then the rest of the, the earth, the world, uh, people will, will yearn for these healing waters, these millennial waters. Today, brethren, hopefully we'll be inspired regarding what God promises to do beyond that punishment. Another picture, let's look at another picture of the Jordan River. This famed river has been reduced to a trickle south of the Sea of Galilee. Why am I beginning uh, the sermon by talking about the Jordan River and the Dead Sea? Uh, I think you'll see in a moment, I think you'll be encouraged 
uh, as we continue in the sermon. The Jordan River has been devastated by pollution, uh, poor regional management. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, A quote from Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. uh, they, They say the following. That the remaining flow of the Jordan River consists primarily of sewage, fish pond water, agricultural runoff, and saline water. The Jordan River is now polluted, brethren. In 2007, Friends of the Earth uh, named the Jordan River as one of the world's 100 most endangered ecological sites. In 2014, February 22, 2014, National Geographic ran an in-depth article, a study, about the water problem in the Middle East. And what they wrote about the Jordan River is, is, uh, is, is very interesting very telling, very sobering, they wrote the following. The great biblical waterway, referring to the Jordan River, is now little more than a shallow, unimposing trickle of sludge, a murky body of water that is in danger of withering into nothingness. And this is from February 2014. Quoting a a young uh, tourist who went to visit the Jordan, uh, I guess a few months before the article was written, uh, they quoted the young boy saying, Quote, is that it? Seriously? That's the Jordan? I could jump over it. This is a sad, pitiful state. But brethren, it's a harbinger. It's a prelude of what is to come around the world. A little more about the Jordan River and the, the, the water situation in Israel. In 1967, Israel conducted air raids into Syria. Why did they do that? Why did they do that? You're familiar with the Six-Day War. Now, there were many contributing factors for the Six-Day War. Water, water was one of those factors. In 1967, Israel conducted air raids into Syria. For what purpose? To halt the work of diverting the river water from the Jordan. And the Six-Day War ensued. The use of Jordan's, uh, the Jordan River water is vital to the, re- to the region. Ariel Sharon uh, once said, quote, people generally regard June 5, 1967 as the start of the Six-Day War. That is the official date, Ariel Sharon said. He continues, but in reality, it started two and a half years earlier on the day Israel decided to act against the diversion of the Jordan River. Brethren, why is this important to you? Why is this important to us? Water and the lack of water has been a cause for war for hundreds, thousands of years. It will be one of the causes again. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Again, we know that it is prophesied to get worse over the coming years, brethren. But there are promises beyond those curses, promises beyond those sobering warnings. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And brethren, we know, we understand that modern Israel has turned aside. We, we know that. We don't need to spend a lot of time elaborating on the fact that modern Israel, the modern nations of, of ancient Israel, have, have rejected God. They've turned from God in so many ways into so much 
idolatry, so much sin, so much covetousness, so much sexual immorality, we, so much violence, uh, abuse. We, we see that all around us. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16. Take heed. This is a warning for Israel today, just like it was back then. Don't serve other gods. Verse 17, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And what is the warning, brethren? He shut up the heavens so there be no rain and the land yield no produce. And you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. From the good land. God gave ancient Israel and modern Israel a good land. But because of Israel's rejection, hard-heartedness, hard-headedness, God is having to correct and punish and chasten and humble Israel and modern Israel. And that, that will continue. It will, it will continue in the years to come, as you know. However, it's not just drought. Again, there will be floods in other places. Luke 21, verse 25. I, I won't turn there for sake of time, but Jesus Christ warns of, of droughts, but he also warns of floods, of destructive flooding. Dr. Winnell uh, wrote in a uh, recent article, Tomorrow's World, March-April 2012 article titled The End of the Age. Dr. Winnell wrote about the punishment that God would chase an end-time Israel, end-time Jacob with, and he wrote the following, quote, As part of the end-time scenario, Jesus described droughts, famines, fires, floods, earthquakes, and other disasters on a global scale, events we have seen regularly in recent years, end of quote. Those punishments those those afflictions are beginning and and again it won't just be drought there will be floods in some places and rain not in the right season in other places we know of course that it will again continue to intensify revelation 16 let's turn to revelation 16 verse 1 very sobering brethren revelation 16 verse 1 speaking of the vials of god's wrath being poured out from heaven onto the earth notice that the second angel strikes what, brethren? Strikes what? Strikes the seas and turns the water to blood and all the fish die. How long, brethren, will the earth survive? How long will humanity survive when the oceans are dead, when there are no more fish? You know, there may be a, a, a few, but when the, the, the seas uh, are, are struck dead. Revelation 16, 1, uh, 2, and 3. We won't read it all, but it talks about the bowls and, and uh, again, sores. Then verse 3, the second angel, every living creature in the sea died. The, the, the Bible says every living creature. How long will, the, will humanity uh, continue, brethren? How long? But again, God promises millennial waters. He promises to restore Israel in the millennium. He promises to heal the earth in the millennium. And it will happen, brethren. It will happen. And where will it happen? Where will it happen? And when will it happen? That's very interesting, very encouraging. You know the answer. Where and when will those millennial waters begin to usher forth to heal the earth? Zechariah chapter 14. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 14. We'll look at a few more uh, pictures and maps later, but notice here in Zechariah 14. And we're going to look later at a, at a, at a map that will <clears throat> illustrate this a little bit better. But Zechariah 14, you know the verse. Verse 4, Christ will return to the Mount of Olives. The Mount will cleave in two. It will split in two. It will split east to west. Half of the mountain will move north. Half of the mountain will move south. 
and a great valley will be created in the midst which will run east to west. The valley will run east to west. Remember that. And healing waters will flow out, will flow out of there. They'll flow out from the valley that is created at Christ's return. Half of the waters will flow to the east and half of the waters will flow to the west. Zechariah 14, verse 4. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. Brethren, this is not just poetry. This will happen literally, literally. And Christ will establish his government, his rule, the kingdom of God, his father and righteousness and his law. And the Holy Spirit will go out upon the earth. But there will also be physical healing, physical restoration, millennial waters. And brethren, the earth will need it. The earth will need it. Now, maybe we won't need it then because we'll be spirit beings, won't we? But our grandchildren or our friends, neighbors, those who survived the Holocaust is coming. They will need it. The earth will need to be healed with these millennial waters. So in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. It will be split in two. Verse five talks about the the flight. You'll see there'll be the the earthquake. Uh, There'll be no light and so forth. Verse eight, verse eight. And in that day, it shall be that the living waters, these are the millennial waters that I'm discussing in the sermon today. They shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half toward the western sea. In both summer and winter, it shall occur. These waters will not dry up. It will be a massive, massive river of of clean, pure water. This is not spiritual, brethren. This is this is literal. God will heal the earth with living waters, clean waters. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, it shall be the Lord is one. His name is one. And the land, all the land shall be turned into a plain and so forth and so forth. People will dwell in it. Israel and the whole earth will be blessed, will be blessed. Let's look at a picture now at this point. Let's familiarize ourselves with the geography. There's a picture on your screen right now. Notice this picture is of the uh, Israel, uh, Jordan area, and there's the, the, the Dead Sea. Notice the Sea of Galilee to the north. Then notice the Jordan River flowing into the Dead Sea to the south. Let's look at another picture at this time. Notice the next picture. This is a map. Notice where Jerusalem is in relation to the Mediterranean Sea to the west and the Jordan River and the Dead Sea to the east. Notice on this map, the Jordan River flows south into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea does not release its waters south into the Gulf of Aqaba. It does not currently do that. Notice the, 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 the map. Notice the, the layout of the land. Now let's notice another picture. This is a picture of the Dead Sea in its current sorry state today. It's very salinated, very salty. <clears throat> As you look at this picture, uh, I'll remind you that the Dead Sea is the lowest body of water on Earth that's lowest, uh, and the lowest point on Earth at 400 meters below sea level. Notice the rocks here in the picture, brethren. The rocks become like snow-covered rocks. They're, they're, they're white with, with, uh, with, with salt. Dead sea, the Dead Sea is devoid of life due to the high salt content. It's more than four times saltier than the world's oceans. It does not uh, support life 
abundantly now, does it? The effects are that some of Israel's, <clears throat> and it's, it's dying. The Dead Sea is further, further dying. It's, it's decreasing. The water levels are decreasing. And because of that, the effects are that some of Israel's most cherished plant and wildlife reserves around the shores are being destroyed. They're being destroyed. Uh, birds that use it, this area to, to, to fly back and forth between Africa and Europe are, are no longer to use it as a resting place. There are large sinkholes that are, that are opening up. We'll talk about those uh, later. But remember earlier in the sermon, I said that you may think that the Jordan River, and you may have heard the Jordan River is the only source of water uh, flowing in the, into the Dead Sea. And that was discovered to not be true a few years ago. <clears throat> Let's look at this uh, next image. This is an underground, underwater image taken by an Israeli um, underwater uh, uh, submersible. And notice that in addition to the Jordan River, which flows from the, uh, from the north into the Dead Sea, <clears throat> there's actually a massive underground spring and river. There's literally a river underneath of the Dead Sea today that feeds the Dead Sea. And this was recently discovered. This was discovered in 2010 by researchers from Israel's Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. They sent a diving expedition into the Dead Sea and they uncovered these freshwater springs. Brethren, there are now findings, very recent, in 2014, that indicate that, that there are water sources under the, the Earth's, Earth's crust that are potentially 10, 20, 100 times more larger, more volume than the Earth's oceans. That's how much water is potentially under the Earth's crust. When God promises to bring springs of water to the earth and to heal the earth, he can do it. He has those resources to do it. Clearly, he could create water. He could create water. But there is currently water under the earth. And, and perhaps God's plan is just to allow that water to come up in a, in a controlled way, not like with the Noatian flood where the water came up and was uh, you know, destructive, but in a, in a calm way. And maybe that's God's plan. And that fresh water will come up uh, under the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> One more picture of the Dead Sea here. Notice this picture of, of the rocks uh, covered in, 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 uh, in salt. <clears throat> Currently around the Dead Sea, there are sinkholes that are opening up. I want to spend a little more time talking about the conditions of the world today, brethren. The conditions of the world today as relates to water and drought. Because, brethren, we're enjoying the Feast of Tabernacles. God has blessed us. He's called us out of the world and we're here today, and we're, we're, we're happy, we're, we're thankful. But brethren, we're not ignorant or callous to the fact that the world is beginning to suffer even more. And our fellow uh, human beings, uh, they're, they're beginning to suffer around the world, and it's going to get worse. And, and modern Israel, uh, the nations of modern Israel are going to be afflicted even more. Uh, we're not ignorant of that. So although we're at the feast, Shouldn't we be praying thy kingdom come? And why should we be praying thy kingdom come? Clearly because we want God to return. We want to be the bride of Christ. We want to become God beings to serve and lead and govern and rule and, and work with God and work under God and under Christ. But brethren, isn't it also because we want the earth to be healed and have peace and we want humanity to not suffer and to have peace and to be healed and, and for there to be 
restoration of the earth. Isn't that also why we yearn for God's kingdom to come? It's for selfless reasons, because we want that joy, that, that, that healing to be available to the whole earth, the whole earth, all people. <clears throat> What's happening today? What's happening today? I'd like to review a few trouble spots. We're going to look at a map of, of the, the current situation in Texas. This is a drought map from May 2014, May 20, 2014. Notice, brethren, the map of the drought situation in, in Texas right now. Texas is entering a, has been in an extreme, unprecedented drought for years. I'm from Texas, and it's, it, I grew up and it was hot in Texas, hot in Texas. But brethren, look at the next picture. Look at the next picture. This is a lake outside of San Angelo. I never saw this as a child. And this is what they're experiencing in Texas today. This used to be a lake outside of San Angelo. What about California? What about California? You've heard of the drought in California. From USA Today, an article from May 15, 2014 from USA Today. Quote, the level of drought in California is unprecedented during the 14-year history of the the monitor, according to climatologist Mark... um, Savoda of the National Drought Mitigation Center in Lincoln, Nebraska. The article continues, the three worst levels of drought are severe, extreme, and exceptional. 100% of California is now in one of these three categories. 51.9% of California is in extreme drought. 24.7% is in exceptional drought. Notice the map of California. God is punishing modern Israel, brethren. God is punishing modern Israel. Next picture. Next picture. Dead fish dried up at the bottom of what used to be a lake. The state's water resources are at critically low levels. Drought emergency has been declared. The health department says 17 rural areas are dangerously parched. It will get worse. Now, there may be a respite. There may be some rain from time to time. Maybe God will have mercy and, and give the United States and Australia and the other Israelitish nations a few more years. But these are signs of what is coming and it will intensify. Brazil. Brazil. Sao Paulo is the largest uh, city in Brazil. It is on the verge of water rationing because of a severe drought and shortages that are occurring even as we speak, even as I am, am recording this sermon. January in Brazil was the hottest month on record in the city ever. The water in the main reservoir has fallen to 20% of its capacity, the lowest level in a decade. It's a huge city. It's a huge city. What will they do as their water begins to run out? Where, where will they make sacrifices? Will they water their crops or will they provide water to drink? Where will, they, where will they cut? The Middle East. The Middle East. Tehran, you know, of course, Tehran is the capital of Iran. Tehran is currently facing, and I understand Tehran is not an Israelitish nation, but it's, it's, uh, it's suffering as well. 
brethren, these, these, these climate changes that God is using to punish Israel, and frankly, the whole world is going to be punished. Tehran is facing a shortage so serious that officials are making contingency plans for rationing in an area where 22 million people live in that area as well as other, other big, uh, big cities. Shortages, shortages are so severe in the United Arab Emirates that the country is using non-conventional uh, water-saving methods. It's, it's uh, desalinating the ocean. It's treating wastewater. Uh, it's harvesting rainwater. They're trying to seed clouds. It's, it's becoming a desperate situation in the Middle East, brethren. In Jordan, in Jordan, <clears throat> at a water, recent water conference, the Crown Prince General Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahin said, "For us, quote, water is now more important than oil." And this is from a recent uh, conference. Uh, Prince Hassan, uncle of King Abdullah, warned just a few days ago, prior to me recording this message, that there would possibly be a war that would break out over water that could be much bloodier than the Arab Spring. What about North Africa? Moving from the Middle East to North Africa, Africa currently Egypt uh, is demanding that Ethiopia stop constructing a large dam on the Nile. And, and Egypt is, is uh, threatening Ethiopia and they're telling them that they will protect their water uh, rights and water access at any cost. Notice this picture, brethren. Notice this picture. Here we have a farmer sitting in the middle of what used to be lush farmland. It used to be irrigated by the Nile, <clears throat> but they're having to divert the water for other purposes. And so he's sitting in the middle of what used to be a farm. And this is the parched condition of much of the farmland in Egypt right now, 2014. South Asia, moving around the globe, South Asia. Currently about 60 million people in South Asia live in swaths of, of land ranging from Pakistan to India, Bangladesh, that are in severe and extreme drought. 60 million people. Up to 75% of the farmers there rely on groundwater because they're just not getting enough rain, and those groundwater wells are drying up. China, more competition for water in China. They're in drought conditions in many areas as well. Australia, again, just moving around the world. Australia. There's a BBC News article from March 5, 2014 uh, that discusses Australia's 2014 drought and says that it is, quote, the worst in living memory, that the ground is just turning to dust in many places. Another BBC News article from March 7, 2014 uh, records that in Queensland, that Queensland, Australia is, quote, suffering its most widespread drought on record with 80% of the state now included in the list of affected areas. And it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, just a few years ago, Australia had massive flooding, didn't they? So God can use the weather. He can use drought and flooding. It can alternate to punish his people. And brethren, you know, just and they're no worse than the Americans or the English or the, <clears throat> the South Africans or the Canadians. But Australia, our brothers, our cousins in Australia, uh, they are not, not our spiritual brothers, but... You know, the, the nation is getting into increasing sin, increasing homosexuality, increasing uh, divorce, increasing abortion, increasing drug use, just, just shunning their 
is, you know, turning their nose up at God. <clears throat> but again, there's good news. When Christ returns, brethren, what did we read earlier from Zechariah? He will return and split the Mount of Olives in two. And two rivers will be created. Look at this next uh, chart. Look at this next graphic. <clears throat> this is a, a map of the area. And I kind of inserted two little rivers in there. And notice that two rivers will be created. And water will flow out from under uh, the mountain and under the temple. Let's turn to Joel. The prophecy of Joel. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Help us find Joel. Joel chapter 3 talks about this very time. Joel 3 verse uh, 15 and uh, 15 through 18. Joel 3. The Lord will, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 15. The the sun and moon will grow dark. The stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children, children of Israel. So here we see that God is intimating. He's 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 showing us he's hinting at at, at the at a promise that his his heart is changing toward Israel. He had punished Israel and that now he's going to be their strength and he's going to protect them. And verse 17. So you shall know that I am the Lord, your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So this is clearly a prophecy about the millennium. God, God will dwell. Christ, the, the, the word, the creator will dwell uh, there in Zion, my holy mountain. And then Jerusalem shall be holy and no aliens shall ever pass again through, through her gates. And verse 18, it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The, the, the earth will be blessed again and especially the, the land of Israel and the hills shall flow with milk and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. What a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful truth. And it's real, brethren. Christ will return, establish God's government. But also, brethren, he will heal, begin the healing process of the earth. And those millennial waters will flow out from Zion, healing the nations, healing the nations. Ezekiel 41. Have you studied the the temple? Have you studied the temple? Have you studied the the symbolism uh, included in the construction and the beautification of the temple, brethren? Have you studied it? Have you looked at it? Why did God instruct the temple to be created and fashioned with these decorations the way he did? Ezekiel 41, verse 18. This is, of course, the ancient temple. Ezekiel 41, verse 18. Notice the decorations. Notice the decorations, brethren. And notice the, 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 the doors that will be described here and what will occur in the temples. Ezekiel 41, verse 18. And it was made with uh, cherubim, Ezekiel 41, verse 18. It was made with cherubim and palm trees, a palm tree between cherub and cherub. Each cherub had two faces. So this is talking about the panels. And there's cherubs and palm trees. Palm trees require a lot of water, a lot of water. 
Palm trees grow in the desert where? Where there's water, where there's an oasis. And so God had engraved palm trees uh, in the temple and the cherubs between the palm trees. Verse 19, so that the face of a man was toward a palm tree on one side and the face of a young lion was toward the palm tree on the other side. And that's insight into how, uh, partial insight into how a cherub looks. And uh, thus it was made throughout the temple all around. These palm trees that are beautiful provide shade and and a place for, for animals to be protected and shade for humans, but that need a lot of water, clear, clean water. Verse 20, from the door to the space above the door and on the wall of the sanctuary, cherubim and palm trees were carved. The doorposts of the temple were square and uh, so also the front of the sanctuary. The appearance of the one was like the appearance of the other. Verse 22, the altar. The altar was of wood, three cubits high and its length, two cubits, its corners, its length and its sides were of wood. And he said to me, this is the table that is before the Lord. The temple and the sanctuary had two doors. The doors had two panels. Two folding panels, two panels for one door, two panels for the other door. Verse 25, cherubim and palm trees were carved on the doors of the temple just as they were carved on the walls. A wooden canopy was on the front of the vestibule outside. And verse 25, there were beveled, there was a, a beveled window frames and palm trees on the one side and the other and the sides of the vestibule, also in the side chambers of the temple and the canopies. So we have this description of the temple with these palm trees. Now let's turn forward a couple uh, chapters to chapter 47. Ezekiel 47, keep this mental image in your mind of the the temple. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was what, brethren? There was water flowing out from under the threshold of the temple. Do you remember those pictures we looked at just a few minutes ago? God is merciful. He's our father. He loves us. He loves his creation. He will punish his creation. He will punish Israel. But then as a loving father, he will provide for Israel and for the world. And he will provide healing water. And the water will come from the source at Jerusalem, at the temple where Christ will dwell. And there will be no mistake, brethren, whether it's Japan or Russia or the hard-headed Israelites that have gone into captivity, there will be no mistake that life comes from Christ and life comes from Jerusalem and life comes from the temple and it's healing waters and it's spiritual waters, but it's also literal waters. And the nations will look at Jerusalem and look at the God of Israel and they will say, that is where life emanates from. That is where life emanates from. We are in the millennium. We've made it through the great tribulation. We've survived, and that is where life comes from. That is where the healing waters come from. That is where the truth comes from. That is where God's law comes from. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. There was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. Verse 2. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around. And you're familiar with this. Ezekiel, you know, he, he, he measures the, the river. We don't have time to read it all. But uh, verse 3, then when the man went out to the east and the line, uh, with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters and the water came up to my ankles. And you, you know the story, brother. And he continues and he measures another 1,000 cubits and the water goes up to his waist. And then verse uh, 5, another 1,000 cubits. 
and the water goes up. It's so high that it's too deep, he couldn't even swim across it. This is the living water, the millennial water, that will come out from the temple, from under the temple where Christ will reside. Verse 6, he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Why does God emphasize the water? Because the earth will be at the point of complete collapse. Complete collapse. The fish of the sea, dead. The rivers, dried up. The sky, the the, the heavens, like bronze. In addition to the war, the nuclear devastation, the chemical devastation, the water will heal the earth. God will use the water to heal the earth. And of course, there will be more than just that. We'll have to go out. We'll repair. We'll <clears throat> uh, teach God's law. We'll have to help rebuild the cities or, or guide that. Notice verse 8. Then he said to me, you see, it's not just, just Jerusalem that God cares about. Notice verse 8, brethren. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and it goes down into the valley and enters what? The sea, and when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And brethren, today, the Dead Sea does not, does not empty into the Gulf of Aqaba. And the Dead Sea and the Jordan and the Sea of Galilee do not empty into the Mediterranean. God will change the topography, and there will be these two rivers, and they will flow out into the Mediterranean, to the west, the Gulf of Aqaba, to the south, and they will heal the entire oceans. All the oceans will be healed. And it shall be, verse 9, that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish. Those fish had been killed. Those fish had died just, just you know, what weeks previously. Everything will live. Everything will be healed. The waters will originate from the, thr- the throne of Christ and there will be no doubt where life comes from, brethren. We read about the great devastating earthquake that will be associated with the second coming of Jesus Christ. We saw how the, the area around the Dead Sea will most likely you know, be, be elevated, be raised, and this, these waters will flow out. The mountains will be flattened. There will be major topographical changes that will occur throughout Israel and and, and indeed throughout the entire earth. These changes to the land are spoken of uh, in Scripture, and we'll turn to just a few. Notice back in Ezekiel 38, and then we'll look at uh, a prophecy as well in Isaiah. And if we have time, perhaps go back to Revelation. Ezekiel 38. God talks about these, these changes to the topology. Ezekiel 38, verse 18. And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord uh, God, that my fury will go, my, my fury will show in my face. Ezekiel 38, verse 18. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, <clears throat> which I have spoken, surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. And so my purpose here is to, again, discuss that there will be ge- geographic changes. Uh, verse um, 20, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the 
beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth. All the men who are on the face of the earth shall shall shake at my presence. But notice verse 20, the mountains shall be thrown down. They, they will be lowered. They'll be uh, flattened and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. And I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all the mountains. So we see God's uh, intervention, his protection of Israel. But notice we also see that there will be a, a change to the geography. Isaiah chapter 40. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. But I hope, brethren, that we're, <clears throat> we're, we're, we're painting a picture of, of God's, uh, the awesomeness of God and God's might. And that God, you know, he will send Christ. Christ will return. He will establish his government. But it's, it will be a real government. And he will change the earth and he will heal the earth and he will provide for the earth uh, physically as well as of course through his law is isaiah chapter 40 verse 1 comfort yes comfort my people says your god speak comfort to jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended her iniquity is pardoned israel has been chastened israel suffered and israel uh, was was punished in the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, but but her suffering is ended. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our, our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low. We see the geographic changes. We don't have time to turn to Revelation chapter 16, but you can also make a note, Revelation 16, verses 17 through 21, give us additional insight into the geographic changes. <clears throat> Israel will then be resettled in the millennium into uh, the, the, the promised land. And I'd like you to look briefly at, at this map. <clears throat> you can go to Ezekiel chapter 48. Ezekiel 48 verses 1 through 13 as you look at this map. And you see how Israel will be resettled. And we're not going to turn there. But there are these, these swaths of land that are provided that you see in the map to uh, Israel, when Israel Israel is resettled in the Holy Land. And the temple will be in the middle, and the priest's area will be approximately eight miles long by three miles wide, and the, the Lord's temple will be in the center. And the tribes will be resettled there. The tribes will have been nearly obliterated, nearly made extinct. There will be a great second exodus, but there will just be you know, a few million people who, who will return. Multiple million, but not not hundreds of million. And they'll be resettled in this land. Another map to uh, to illustrate Ezekiel 48. I hope this is uh, this is helpful. But another map that shows where the the tribes will be settled in the millennium. Brethren, you and I, if we are worthy, if we are if our robes are are clean, if we're worthy, if we are the pure bride of Christ, if we're repentant, if we're zealous for the, the the work, the truth we pray fervently thy kingdom come we'll we'll be here in the future as spirit beings as as the bride of christ and and this will be the area part of the area that we will help govern and help rule notice in uh, jeremiah chapter 31 <clears throat> jeremiah 31 verse 9 jeremiah 31 verse 9 we see references to well watered uh, gardens jeremiah 31 verse 9 they shall come with weeping and supplications and I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water. Talking about that second exodus, uh, Jeremiah 31 verse 1 and 2 talks about 
the people who, who survive uh, the sword find grace in the wilderness. Israel will go through great tribulation. We don't have time to go through the sequence of events, but, but just a small percentage of Israel will, 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 will survive from the great tribulation and they will find grace in the wilderness, verse 2. And then God will lead them out, that second exodus. They'll be redeemed from the great tribulation, verse 10. And they will come into the promised land and the Lord will redeem them. Verse 12 and 13. They shall come and they will sing. And there will be wheat and wine and and flocks and and herds. And their souls shall be like a well-watered garden. And there will be water and there will be abundance. It will be verdant in in the land. And the Messiah will dwell there as we saw already in his temple. And he will dwell in the midst of Israel forever. I guess we have time to turn quickly back to Ezekiel 43. A lot of scriptures today, brethren, but it's exciting. And God gives us this very clear uh, story and promise of what he will do, what he will perform. Ezekiel 43, verse 7. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. Christ will return. His feet will be planted on the Mount of Olives there where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, nor their kings by their harlotry or with the carcasses of their kings and so forth. But Israel will be redeemed and will be repentant. But again, brethren, is it just Israel that God loves? Is it just Israel? Is it just America, just Britain, just Australia? No. God loves the whole earth. He loves all of his people. He loves all of his people. He loves all of his creation. Let's look at another map. Look at this map, please. Here we have a map of the Middle East and Saudi Arabia. And we have the the Mediterranean and, and the Gulf. Notice that map. Now let's zoom out a little farther. Let's zoom out a little farther. Because remember the rivers? The rivers are going to flow what? West into the Mediterranean and south into the Gulf of Aqaba. And then they're going to flow out. Notice this big map of the whole the whole earth. The oceans surround the, the land and the, the whole earth will be healed. Those healing waters will flow out and be a blessing not just to Jerusalem and the Middle East, but to all of the land around the world. And the entire uh, oceanic system will be healed. And God will make the deserts blossom like a rose. And here's an image right here, a, a, a little oasis, an oasis in the desert. And the deserts will blossom like a rose. And God will then give rain in due season. There will no longer be floods that will be devastating and then drought and then floods. But he will give rain in due season. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. God promises in many places <clears throat> that he will give rain in due season if, 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 if Israel's obedient. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 14. Then I will, I will give you the rain for, for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil, and, and Israel will be blessed. God will turn the deserts into gardens. Psalm 107, verse 35, talks about that, that God will turn the deserts into gardens. Psalm 107, verse 35. And we've already seen in Ezekiel a number of promises that make the same, the same point. 
Brethren, we look forward to Christ's return in the millennium. Mr. Richard Ames talks about the day of the Lord and the millennium, as well Dr. Meredith and, and all of our leaders and evangelists in the ministry. We talk about the coming kingdom of God. And Mr. Ames wrote in an uh, article a few years ago, uh, I guess four or five years ago now, uh, March, April 2010, he, he wrote an article <clears throat> titled, Hope for Our Future. Hope for Our Future. And this is in the Tomorrow's World, uh, March, April 2010. Mr. Ames is writing about the millennium. And here's what he said. Our polluted planet will be renewed. Your Bible reveals our glorious future in many prophecies. And brethren, we've, we've seen some of those today, just a few. We've seen some of the prophecy, prophecies about you know, correction and punishment. But we've seen a, a few prophecies about life and abundance and healing. Mr. Ames continues. Here is one inspiring description of our renewed earth under Christ's loving rule. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 35. I've not read this passage yet, but Mr. Ames used it in his uh, 2010 article. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with the joy, even with joy and singing. Skipping a little bit. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And we saw many prophecies uh, about that. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and bushes. Isaiah 35 verses 1, 2, 6 and so forth. Mr. Ames continues, In God's coming kingdom on the earth, Christ will heal people of all their infirmities. Remember, when Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, he healed thousands. We read, Mr. Ames continues, and he's going to quote from Matthew 12, verse 15. <clears throat> and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. Brethren, as you know, as we understand, our God is a healer. One of his names is the God or our God who heals. And he, he, he's healed many of you. Uh, if, if you've been anointed by one of God's faithful ministers and you've had faith, I'm sure that probably most of you here today have had legitimate, real healings. I have, where God has healed me, uh, my daughters, both of them. God has intervened on a number of occasions, and, and there have been real healings. But brethren, while these are important, important and, and, and we thank God for them, God will heal not just one or two people. He'll, he will heal the whole earth, the whole earth, the whole world. Isaiah tells us, Mr. Ames continues, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the, the deaf shall be uh, unstopped. He's quoting from Isaiah 35, verse 5. The lame will, will leap, the lame will leap like the deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing. Uh, more from his article, he writes, There is hope for the future of the world, and there is hope for your future. Today's faithful Christians, the true saints, will be in the first resurrection to assist Christ in ruling the world. They will usher in the millennium of world peace. The glorious kingdom of God on earth will produce beauty and productivity such as the world has never known, end of quote. And I would just add that that will absolutely happen and God will use those healing millennial waters that will emanate from the source, the ultimate source at Christ's throne to accomplish that healing. 
two concluding prophecies. Two concluding prophecies. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 and verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities. And I wanted to make this point as we conclude. God will punish Israel, chasten them. They will repent. They will be, become spiritually cleansed. And as you know, water pictures cleansing. When we are baptized, we go under the water. It pictures death, the death of the old self, but it also pictures what? Cleansing, cleansing. Verse 33, 34. On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. I like the way God uses the the word there, enable. I will enable you. Israel will have been driven out of the cities. Their cities will be ruined. There won't even be enough water to support the cities. But he will enable them. He will give them protection and remove the violence and the, the plagues. But he will enable them. He will give them enough water so that they can live in the cities. God is not opposed to cities, by the way. But he, he is opposed to you know, um, uh, people living on top of each other and squalor conditions and overpopulation and, and people living jammed together. Uh, with no no green, no grass, no no fresh air. Yes, he's opposed to pollution. He's opposed to the violence in the cities. But but God's not opposed to beautiful, verdant, well laid out cities. Jerusalem will be a city, and He will enable Israel to live in these cities. But they'll be beautiful, and they'll be well manicured, and there will be gardens, and there will be flowers, and there will be green belts. The ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of laying desolate. In the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, This land that was be desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, <clears throat> and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Last verse Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. Brethren, we thank God for the promise of the coming kingdom that he will establish on the earth. We thank God for the Feast of Tabernacles, which we're enjoying today, and it looks forward to that. We pray that God would send His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the King of Kings, soon. But we know that there is much that the world and modern Israel will have to endure and suffer before Christ returns. But the, the millennium is pictured by the Feast of Tabernacles. And here we are at the Feast of Tabernacles, and we're enjoying food and abundance and fellowship and good sermons and we're, we're putting God first. And I encourage you, brother, and I'm sure you are, but wake up in the morning and, and pray first. Pray first and thank God for what the kingdom, I'm sorry, for what the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles pictures, which is the kingdom. And pray that God would speed the return of his son, Jesus Christ. And thank God for the understanding that we have. Because the Feast of Tabernacles looks forward to this millennial, millennial time, a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth followed then by the great white throne judgment, and then everlasting, eternal happiness where there's no limit, no ending to God's government, to what we'll be doing out throughout the universe with the not thousands but hundreds of billions of galaxies that exist throughout the universe. But brethren, here today, here today, we live at the end of this age. And so we are thankful that these promises will come true. And so we conclude 
with this promise, which we know will come true. We yearn for it. We pray for it. Ezekiel 47, verse 12. Ezekiel 47, verse 12. We've read about the temple and healing waters. Ezekiel 47, verse 12. And along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither. No more drought, no more, no more pestilence. Their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month. There will be healing. There will be abundance. Because our Lord, our God, is a loving, caring God, a loving Father. Because their water flows from where? From where? From the throne of Christ, from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves will be for healing.